In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today we're going to continue the series of the history of the Coptic Church. Um, last week we spoke about the, um, the, Arabic in the Arab invasion, um, and specifically there was a famous general whose name is Amr ibn al-As. He is the one who led the charge against Egypt um, and subdued Egypt. And we spoke about several of the reasons why it was so easy for the Arabs invading Egypt to subdue the nation, um, including things like the Roman uh, legions who were in Egypt um, were, were, were not coordinated very well, and there were many reasons why they were not able to hold off the attack. We also spoke about um, some of the persecutions that happened against the Copts after the Arabic invasion happened. Um, and so today we're going to kind of continue from where we left off and speak about some additional things that have, that have happened and speak about, um, you know, as, as the time progressed um, and as the governors, um, uh, you know, left and came new ones, uh, how, how the, the history um, of Egypt and the Copts um, changed over time. Um, so as far as collecting the jizya, do you remember what the jizya or the gizya is? We spoke about that before. A tax? A tax for what? A tax being non-Muslim, right? So um, when the Arabs came, they gave the people three options. One of the options was to pay the gizya. What were the other two options? Convert. And the third option? to die, right, to be killed, okay? So um, the, the troops, the Arab troops, um, they would quarrel with each other um, because of each of them were receiving different amounts of wealth. Um, and Amr used his authority to collect a huge amount of wealth in a short time because he would receive this gizya from the people. Um, and that was one of the main uh, focuses of the governors is to acquire wealth for themselves and also to be able to send wealth to the caliph, okay? The caliph is like the one who is the head of the entire Arabic empire, and they would have many nations under their authority, and each nation would have a governor, or, or we call them a wali, um, and this governor um, would report to the caliph and send uh, wealth there. So the caliph is um, Omar, asked him about the source of his wealth, and um, Omar's asked him to increase the jizya and to send it to Medina. Omar's famous saying is, may God destroy Egypt for the sake of Medina's development. Right, so there was, they didn't care about Egypt. They just wanted to, to get whatever it is that they could um, in terms of wealth for, for their Islamic empire. The historian Dr. Saida Ismail al-Kashif said, the Arabs focused on collecting as much jizya as possible from the Copts, who in many cases had no choice but to convert to Islam. Consequently, this led to a decrease in the income for the government, who acted to double the gizya on the Copts who remained Christian. So as some people chose to convert to Islam to avoid this tax or to avoid being killed, the number of the Copts decreased. And of course, also they were killing Copts, so the, the, the number of Copts decreased. And so the, the number of people that were left to pay this tax decreased which would reduce the income, right? And so what they did to compensate is they increased the amount of the tax on the remaining cops so that um, the income would not um, drop. It was said that the caliph Umar ibn, ibn Abdul Aziz ordered the wali of Egypt 
to collect the gizya even of dead cops from their families. So even after a Coptic person would die, they would go to the family of this Copt and they would ask them to pay the tax as though this person would still be alive so that they are still collecting um, the tax. As well, the Wali of Egypt imposed a gizya of one denarius per person on Coptic monks. He also ordered to count all the monks in the monasteries after which no one was allowed to become monk. So they would collect the tax on the monk and they would also make like a census of all of the monks so that they would not allow new people to join the monasteries because they didn't want the monasticism to continue. So they would stop anyone from being ordained a monk and joining monasteries and they did this by making sure that the, there was the numbers of the monks did not increase. Dr. Saida continued to mention the many financial injustices that the cops encountered which forced many of them to convert to Islam. The third caliph, um, he removed Amr, his name, his name is um, Osman ibn Affan, I might be mispronouncing these names, so sorry about that, but um, he removed Amr and appointed a new, so Amr was the wali, he was the governor, okay? He was the one who was the general that led the attack into Egypt to begin with. So he removed him from being the governor and he appointed another governor, Abdullah ibn Sa'd in Egypt, and he collected a large amount of tax, 14 million denarii in his first year. At the beginning of the Umayyad dynasty, so, so there is an Islamic dynasty, which is like, uh, you know, like a family line that uh, was uh, ruling the Islamic empire. And so there is like kind of uh, dynasties that you can track in history. So this is one of the dynasties um, here in the 7th century, Umayyad dynasty, um, reappointed Amr when the cops complained from injustice of Abdullah. So when Abdullah came, he was actually worse than Amr, so they put Amr back again. Um, Musallama ibn al-Mukhallad ordered burning those who wouldn't pay the gizya. So the, the collection of gizya was like a big deal um, um, for, for, the, for the Arabs. They, they cared so much about getting the money, and this was a big part of the oppression that happened um, uh, for the cops. You remember we spoke about the dimmi? Remember what the dimmi is? So the word dimmi refers to both the cops and the Jews. Together, um, they called them the dimmi people. So they, um, this is kind of like a summary. So they were paying the gizya, even for the dead people. They had a special code um, that they, they would wear, wear certain clothes and do like act differently. No building of new churches or monasteries. No rebuilding of the destroyed ones. They were excluded from government offices. No restrictions for conversion to Islam. Death penalty for converting or reconverting uh, a person who is Muslim. So if a person who is Muslim were to convert to Christianity, you would get the death penalty. Um, not allowed to carry weapons. Um, each of the governors um, would set up a, a mosque, would build a mosque um, that's kind of their legacy. Kind of like maybe you have now in the U.S., like every president, they build like a library, which is named after them, and that's kind of their legacy. Um, in at this time, every governor would build a mosque that was their legacy. And every governor wants to build a mosque that is more grand than the mosque of his predecessor. And because the at that time, the Arabs were not very advanced scientifically, so they didn't have, um, they didn't know how to build big structures. 
You think they're originally nomadic people. But in Egypt, the Copts at the time were one of the most advanced civilizations. So the, the, the Copts, they would have built churches, right? And the churches were built, um, you know, using columns at the time to um, erect the churches and so on. Um, so uh, the, the, th when they wanted to build the mosques, what they would do is they would take the columns that were used to build the churches, destroy the churches, and take those columns and use them in the building of the mosque. Okay, because they didn't they didn't have the engineering um, understanding in order to build a structure like that themselves. So they would use what had already been built in the churches and use that to build the mosque. Visitors of the mosque of Amr ibn al-As in Cairo would easily recognize that it was built with columns taken from Coptic churches. As the columns are totally different in style and length, this mosque was designed by a Copt called Bokhtar. So they would actually get kind of the, the engineers who were advanced um, from among the cops, and they would force them to um, be in charge of building the mosques. In 642 AD, the Arabs took the city of Alexandria upon learning of a great library containing all the knowledge of the world, ancient and recent. We had discussed this library, um, I think, in, in you know uh, several several um, uh, t lectures ago when we spoke about the famous library that was in Egypt that had all kinds of books um, from all over the world. Amr, the conquering general, asked the caliph um, for instructions when he found this library. The caliph responded this way. He said, if their content, the content of the books of the library, if their content is in accordance with the book of Allah, which is the Quran, we may do without them. For in that case, the book of Allah more than suffices. If, on the other hand, they contain matter not in accordance with the book of Allah, there can be no need to preserve these. Proceed then and destroy them. So you see the, the, the logic here is if what's found in the library is compatible with their religion, then it's unnecessary because all we have, we, we have the book of God, so that's sufficient. So we don't need whatever's in the library. But if what's in the library contradicts the book of God, then it's considered blasphemy. And so also you should destroy it. So regardless of what's in there, essentially he's saying just destroy it. Destroy it no matter what. All the manuscripts who were in this library were allegedly destroyed by using them as tinder for the 4,000 bathhouses of the city of the for the Arab use. So they took these documents. These are lost. Like These are so many ancient documents, whether they be Christian documents or just historic documents from the time that are lost because... The, 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 this whole library was burned down and they took these manuscripts and they used them to, to heat the water for the bathhouses um, that, that the Arabs used. It took six months to burn all the documents. Like That's how many documents there were. Um, it took six months to, to burn them all. This incident has been subject to continuous controversy. Not everyone agrees that this is what happened. But from the Coptic perspective, it seems clear that this is what happened. Um, some people believed that the library was actually burned much earlier in 48 BC by Julius Caesar, or some people say even the Christians burned the library in the fourth century. However, there are famous historians that declared that the library was still existing in the fourth and fifth centuries. So if the library still existed in 4th and 5th century, according to, historical, uh, according to historians, then there is no way that it could have been destroyed by Julius Caesar in 48 BC or by the Christians in the 4th century. So this is why we maintain that 
the library was actually destroyed by the Arabs um, in the way that I described. So the Umayyad dynasty, this is roughly what the Islamic empire looked like uh, at this time in, in the, from 661 to 751 AD. So you see Egypt there um, is part of this dynasty for the Islamic empire. Um, the Umayyads saw a great expansion of the Islamic empire. The caliph in Damascus sent walis to govern Egypt. 21 walis governed Egypt during this dynasty. Two of them governed twice and one of them governed three times. The caliph killed or fired 11 of them. So whenever the caliph was unhappy with the progress or the performance of the, of the governor of Egypt, he would kill them or fire them and he would send another one. Each one tried to send great wealth to the caliph and to amass a fortune for himself during his short reign. Burning and destroying cities and churches was their common strategy for disciplining the cops. This man, Abdul Aziz ibn Marwan, he's known for being one of the most just Muslim rulers that governed Egypt. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he arrested and humiliated Pope John of Samanud, who was an elderly person, because he did not go to greet him. He built Helwan City, moved it to, uh, moving it to the treasury, and headed by uh, a copt whose name is Antinas. He encouraged all the rich cops to build their mansions in his new city, and uh, allowing Pope Isaac to build two beautiful churches there. This is the things that he ordered. He ordered to increase the gizya, ordering one denarius on clergy and 3,000 denarii on the pope. Uh, he ordered that the election of the pope should be in Babylon, not in Alexandria. He ordered the destruction of all of the crosses in all of Egypt, that all of the crosses in the whole country would be destroyed. He placed statements on the gates of churches saying Muhammad is the great prophet of God and Isa, who is their word for Jesus, is a prophet of God and God is not begotten and, do and, and does not beget. So it was a statement against the Christian faith. He banned the cops from holding divine liturgies, okay, everywhere. He threatened the Pope if he failed to pay 10,000 denarii. This was at a different time. He, the cops collected and gave the money to the Wali, and this Wali died after 40 days of his son's death. So, um, so even though it is said about him, we, we said what? That he was known as being one of the most just rulers, and yet he still did all of these things. Another wali, his name is Abdullah ibn al-Abdul Malik. He, it said about him that he was like a wild beast. Um, he was the cousin of the caliph, and he tortured the cops uh, in his presence while he was eating so their blood would be splattered on his food as he ate. He ordered to torture Pope Alexandros, who was the 43rd patriarch of Alexandria, who came to welcome him until the Pope agrees to pay 3,000 denarii. The Pope remained in jail for three days until Gerges, a Coptic deacon, pledged to bond him. He ordered that dead cops should not be buried until their relatives paid their gizya. Many cops immigrated or left Egypt, others converted to Islam, and others died of hunger. He decreed Arabic to be the official language instead of Coptic. So keep in mind that prior to the Islamic invasion, the language that was spoken by the Copts in Egypt was the Coptic language. This is why we are called the Coptic Church. This is why our liturgies are written primarily in Coptic and also Greek, and many of the documents that we have and the writings of um, the, early, um, you know, the early church in Egypt was all written in Coptic. It was the spoken language, it was the written language. Um, when the Arabic invasion happened, um, they could not understand the Copts. 
They couldn't understand the language and they couldn't understand the prayers that the people would be praying in the church. So because they didn't know what was being said, they, they changed the official language of Egypt and then they um, banned the Coptic language. They said essentially you're not allowed even to pray in Coptic in the churches. And so everything began to be translated into Arabic. And so of course we know today Arabic is the predominant language uh, in Egypt that both the Copts and the, the, the Muslims in Egypt speak Arabic uh, and very few people actually can speak Coptic. Um, Coptic is only used liturgically primarily and only among scholars who can go and historically read Coptic documents and understand it and so on. So when the reason the Coptic language is very important is because so many of these very ancient documents are written in Coptic and if we want to understand the church at the time and we want to understand the origins of the faith, it has to be read in Coptic. So um, it's very important language um, for, for us because everything that we are doing today is actually based on Coptic. All the English that we pray in the liturgy is a translation either from Coptic or Greek. They changed the names of the cities um, to Arabic names and the Copts became well-versed in Arabic, writing, and math. Many uh, churches were destroyed, and worshiping was stopped in many districts. Um, another wali, his name is Korah ibn Sharik. He ruled Egypt from 709 to 714 AD. He took the same actions of the previous wali against Pope Alexandros. He ordered the Pope to pay 3,000 dollari again for the second time. So every time a new wali comes, he's like, okay, well, I got to collect my tax so even though the Pope had already paid this tax um, um, on him, but now this new governor is asking that he pay it again. The Pope tried to explain that he did not have any money and that he still owes 500 denarii to the previous wali. And then he responded to him and said, these are useless excuses. You have to pay even if you have to sell your own flesh. Many trials and tortures came to this Holy Father, the Pope, but he endured them patiently. This wali used to steal the gold and silver sacred vessels and seize the goods of the dead cops as well. Men fled from one place to another with their wives and children, but no place would harbor them because of the troubles and the exaction of taxes. His tyranny was greater than that of any of his predecessors, and a great plague came and Korah died suddenly after the death of his wives and children. Another wali, his name is Osama ibn Zaid, he humiliated the cops, killed and gouged out their eyes, and many were eaten by his hungry dogs. He ordered all monks to shave their beards, mutilated them, and branded each one of them on his left hand. So he'd make a mark on their left hand. He ordered cutting the hand of unbranded person. So if there was someone who did not have the mark, then he would cut off their hand. He commanded the governors to execute cops and bring him their wealth. And through anguish and distress, men were minded to sell even their own children. It was a miserable time. Um, you can see the, the extreme persecution that happened against the church. Another wali, Ubayd um, Allah ibn Hageb, he collecting the gizya under this other caliph, he ordered to tattoo the mark of a lion on the hands of the Christians. If anyone is found in any place without the mark on his hand, his hand would be cut off and he would be heavily fined. Pope Alexandros II, he refused to allow himself to have the mark, and so he asked the caliph to grant him a delay of three days. And he prayed to God to take his own soul without being branded, and the Lord accepted his request, and he actually he died without being branded. 
Um, he tortured Bishop Samuel, uh, Bishop Samuel after he, he failed to pay a thousand denarii. The soldiers removed the bishop's clothes, clothed him in a hair cloth, hung him in front of St. George Church in Old Cairo, and kept flogging him on a daily basis for a week. He was finally released after the cops pleaded to the wali and agreed uh, and, and agreed to pay him 300 denarii. So they would they would try to find the money in any way in order to save um, the, the bishop or the pope from the suffering that would be imposed on them because they would not be able to pay. There is um, one person that I wanted to mention, just kind of, um, she's a famous saint. Her name is Fabronia. Um, she uh, was a very, is a very heroic figure in the church. She was a religious woman, and she was mentioned by several historians. In 749 AD, the soldiers uh, of Marwan ibn Muhammad robbed a convent near Akhmim and dragged the virgins out of it. So there was a convent. All of the women in the convent were dragged out, and Fibronia was one of them. She was a virgin who was very beautiful, and her captors couldn't decide uh, who was to own her because it was, it was like someone was to own um, these girls. While they were consulting, she asked them to allow her to pray. After praying, she had an idea to keep her purity. She begged them to leave her alone, and in return, she would reveal to their leader the secret of an oil her ancestors used to anoint themselves, and thereby they became invulnerable. So she told them that if you leave me alone, I will show you this special kind of oil, that if you anoint yourself with it, with it you will become invulnerable. So, of course, to the soldiers, that sounded like a great thing, but, you know, maybe they were skeptical of this claim. So the captain agreed but only if she let them prove the efficacy of this oil upon herself. So she prayed before the icon of St. Mary and asking to assist her to obtain deliverance. She anointed her neck with the oil because she's claiming that this is going to make her invulnerable. She anointed her own neck with the oil. She knelt down, exposed her neck to a soldier with a sharp sword to strike her. So she was to allow the soldier to strike her neck to show that this oil was going to be keep her invulnerable. Of course, this wasn't the case. She was doing this. She could be martyred so that she wouldn't have to endure um, losing her purity and being under the authority of these soldiers who were going to take her essentially as a slave. The man struck with all his might, and her head was cut off. Being very sad and troubled, the soldiers left the convent without harming any of the nuns and leaving behind the things that they robbed. So, again, I'm, I'm going kind of quickly. There's so many more details, actually, and so many things. Um, but I'm just I'm trying to touch on some of the highlights of important events that happened in the history of Egypt. Um, there are plenty of, there's plenty of evidence to show the severe oppression and persecution that happened against the cops. And one thing that is really a miracle is that God preserved the church all the way up until this day. And that's why, why again, we call our church the Church of Martyrs. The, the martyrdom, the, the millions of people that were martyred, actually most of the people that were martyred, we don't even know their names. You know, like when we read in the Synexarian and we read the stories of the saints, those are like the relatively few people that we actually know them. We know who they are. But there are millions that we've never even heard of them. We don't even know who they are. But it is because of their faith that the church was able to continue, even in the midst of all this. 
you know, I, I remember when, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, and there was a period of a few weeks, you know, I can't remember how long it was, four weeks or five weeks or something like that, where the churches were closed, you know, because of COVID. And people were asking, like, is this the first time that this has ever happened, that the churches are actually closed? Well, the answer is no. Actually, the churches were, the whole country, all of the churches were closed, right? But that didn't stop the church, right? Just because there was a temporary amount of time where people were not able to pray liturgies and they were not able to come to church, God preserves the church, right? And so we see the power of God preserving. We also see that God allowed this. You know, he, he could have said, these are my special people. These are godly people that serve me. So I'm going to put like a shield around them. And so no suffering will befall them, nothing. But that's not what he did. He actually uses them as uh, a way to glorify him. He says, these people are so faithful. And the way that they live and what they, they refuse, the, you know, they refuse to, to submit to the, the godless who are coming to destroy them. They're refusing to give up their faith. And so I will, I will honor them. And it is through their sacrifice that the church was able to continue up until this day today. This is why we honor them. This is why we read about them. This is why we try to understand what they experience. This is why we name our churches after them. You know, this is why we ask for their intercession because these people really are, um, are really the, the pillars of faith. They are the ones who really stood and, and preserved the church, not through, you know, a theological debate, not through giving sermons, you know, but because they gave their own life for us when you really think about it. They gave their life for us. They didn't know about us. They couldn't imagine us or, or where we would be. But what they did preserved the church for us. So for us, maybe we are not in a similar situation as them, that people are coming and literally locking the church doors. But we are certainly in a time where our faith is attacked and we are belittled and we are mocked and we are made to feel that you know, what we are doing is delusional and irrelevant. And from another side, we are also under pressure to abandon our faith in many ways, to change our faith, to, to, to say that the things that we have received from this time are not true. And so we have to adapt and change and so on. For us to live the life of martyrdom the way that they lived doesn't necessarily mean that our lives are physically ended but it means that we preserve the faith it means that we stand up to persecution whether it be social persecution or physical persecution and and we remain faithful and this is the way that for god willing for generations to come we also will preserve the church so that when those come after us they will still find the doors of the church open they will still find that they can come and they can pray liturgies and they can partake of the sacraments that when we teach our children um the same that we are, in, you know, we, are, we are investing in them and we are giving them the deposit of the faith that we received. And this is the way that the Orthodox Church has thrived throughout the generations, is that every generation feels it is their obligation, their duty, their desire to pass on the faith to the next generation. And so it continues from generation to generation. And this is what the Church has done all throughout history. And this is what we pray that we continue to do um, in the coming years in the coming generations and glory be to god forever amen
Any questions or comments before we conclude today? Okay. Yes. Yes. The church, there was never a time where the church was not persecuted since the very beginning. And persecuted by different people. You know, we went through the phase where they were persecuted by the Romans. And then there was the phase where they were persecuted by the Chalcedonians, which are the, the Eastern Orthodox. And now we're talking about the phase where they are persecuted by the Arabs. And then in the future, there's other phases where they're persecuted by the Ottomans. Up until today, like up until today, there is persecution. So, on the one hand, of course, we don't want persecution. But on the other hand, this is how God keeps the church strong because we have to rely on him so much because we are always under threat. You know, sometimes um, when everything is easy, when everything, when there's no threat, this is when we start to forget about God. We start to, we start to forget how much we are in need of him. But the more that God allows this persecution, he reminds us as a church collectively how much that we are clinging to him, that we are, we are focusing on the spiritual because it's a necessity. You know, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a luxury. It's something that we need to survive. And definitely that's, um, that's what we see. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. What is the oldest church? Uh, I, I can't, I don't know exactly, but there are monasteries that are built on the sites uh, that the Holy Family themselves uh, visited in Egypt. So I, I would say that there might be churches that are around 1,500 years old, something like that. But I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Many of the churches were destroyed, you know, um, but I feel existing something around this time, I think, is, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Coptic means Egyptian. Yeah. And just so you're, you're aware of the Coptic language, so essentially what the Coptic language is, is there's the ancient pharaonic language, the ancient Egyptian language, which was expressed in hieroglyphics, okay? Hieroglyphics is not an alphabet, but it's like a, it's it's just like a symbology to to express the language in a written form. Okay, the 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 spoken language of the ancient Egyptians was um, was expressed using Greek letters. Okay, and that language kind of morphed into what became the Coptic language. So really, the Coptic language is the ancient Egyptian language expressed using Greek letters as the alphabet. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to learn about the history of the church and to see all of those martyrs and those who sacrificed themselves and those who endured great persecution 
for the sake of preserving the faith and because of their love for you. We ask, O God, that you grant us the same love and the same heart and the same desire to please you and to be faithful, O Lord, to the very end, even though we might find ourselves to have every blessing and every comfort and every luxury and all of our needs are met, and yet how sometimes still, O Lord, we reject you or we turn away from you. We ask, O God, that you fill us with faith and you fill us, O Lord, with the desire to draw closer to you day after day, knowing, O Lord, that all your blessing upon us is from you, not to take you for granted and not to forget you, O Lord, in the midst of our days. Help us, O God, to be strong and prepared for when we come to the day of persecution, that whatever persecutions we face, whether as a church or whether as individuals, we are able to stand firmly, O Lord, and maintain our faith as those who came before us. We ask also, O Lord, that you allow us to carry on this faith and to keep it, O Lord, and preserve it and pass it on to the next generation so that this legacy and this faith will continue, O Lord, to the end of days. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.